We are going to two places. One is the book of Philippians, and the other is the book of Acts, beginning in the book of Philippians, and then over in Acts. And if you are relatively new to the Bible, they'll be up on the screen there for you as well. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, all the time, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether life is going the way that you want, or whether it's not going the way that you want. Rejoice in the Lord always, and just in case you missed that, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep or guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Then over in Acts chapter 16, verse number 20, it says, and they began, and they, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Rejoice in the Lord always. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. How many of you know what comes out of your lips people are listening to? Matter of fact, your testimony is tied to your lips. That's why if you're a Christian, you gotta talk a certain way. Not because you're talking inauthentically, but because you have to know that everything you say is having an effect. The prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Today we are concluding our series, Mental Health Goals, and I want to minister to you on the subject, similar in title to a few weeks ago when we talked about this is your brain on prayer, but today I want to talk to you about this is your brain on praise. This is your brain on praise. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you right now for speaking to us and ministering your word, which is life to every single heart, we pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. amen. As our opening text tells us, when we pray, the result is God's peace protecting and guarding our hearts and minds. And we have come a long, long way in terms of talking about how to protect our minds because we know that there is a battle going on for our minds, a spiritual battle for our minds because we know that where our minds go, our life follows. And because our mind has such a a profound impact on our lives. The enemy of our soul looks to destroy or attack us 
in our mind. And the symptoms of that battle are many. We all are familiar with them. Anxiety and worry and sleeplessness and lack of peace and all of that kind of stuff. But God has not let, left us helpless. We have learned that he has given us these mighty weapons to pull down or destroy the strongholds, which are mental kind of imprisonments that often our mind gets into so that we can lead the kind of life that Jesus died to give us, which is an overcoming, victorious, complete, full, and blessed life. And one of the ways that we do that is through prayer. When we pray we learn that the peace of God protects or guards our minds. And so, do you need a shield around your mind? Pray. Do you need a peace that keeps you from worry or anxiety and confusion? Pray. Do you need a bouncer that stands outside your mind, guarding off or warding off or not allowing entrance into your mind of any rogue thoughts that would seek to keep you captive? Pray. Do you need protection against the mind infection that is so prevalent in our culture right now? Pray. Do you need to get to a place in your life where you have confidence that no matter what is happening to you or around you, that everything is going to be okay? Pray. Prayer is a weapon that produces peace that guards your heart and mind. And so we talked about this is your mind on prayer. It's not an anxious mind, but it is an assured mind. It is not a worried mind, but a mind that is waiting on God. It's not a confused mind, but it is a calm mind. It is not a burdened mind, but it is a blessed mind. That is your mind on prayer. But I want you to notice that the text doesn't promise that your mind will be guarded if all you do is pray. Because it says something else in the same context. Look at it again with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your mind and heart. And so it's not just prayer but it's prayer and this thing called rejoicing with thanksgiving. Rejoicing with thanksgiving is how we praise God. So it's not just prayer. You know what is that guy Guy Fieri on diners, drive-ins, and dives. He's got triple D, right? Diners, drive-ins, and dives. Well, God's got double P. It's prayer and praise. And actually, I should say it's probably triple P because prayer and praise produces peace in your life. So it's not just one or the other, but it's both of them. And here's the reason why. Number one, prayer rolls the burden on God, but praise keeps it there. Prayer rolls the burden on God, but praise keeps it there. Don't just pray, pray, and rejoice. Pray and give thanks. Prayer is powerful. Prayer can move mountains. Prayer can change your circumstances. Prayer can preframe your future. Prayer can write history before it happens. Prayer moves the hand that moves the universe. Prayer is how we roll the burden on God. First Peter chapter 5 verse number 7. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for us. Prayer is how we put it on God's shoulders and off of us who can't handle it but onto God's who can. And by the way, isn't that amazing that God offers to carry our burdens? You don't have to, right? 
But he tells us, cast all your cares upon me, for I care for you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're willing to carry my burdens. Matter of fact, he says, come unto me, all ye who are labor, who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Thank you, Lord, that you're willing to carry our burdens. He doesn't have to, but he's willing to. And the way we get the burden off us and on God is we pray. But have you ever noticed that when you unburden yourself in prayer, you know, you have a good prayer time with the Lord, and, uh, you know, you, you can feel his presence, you can sense his presence, and you, and you kind of feel, okay, worry, worry has left, and anxiety has left, and you, and you kind of sense that peace. Have you ever noticed that after that, you and I try to take it back? Have you ever noticed you pray and you give it to God, but then, but then we try to take it back? Has anybody else gone through this with God? You know, it's like, God, here, it's yours, but then, no, it's mine. Here, no, it's God, it's yours, no, but it's mine. Here, God, it's yours, no, mine. Yours, mine, yours, mine. And there's this tug of war with the burden. Can you, can you picture like a God box, right? Just picture you have a God box. Matter of fact, this might be a good exercise for some of you. Get you a little shoe box, go back to school when you made dioramas, but, but make a God box. You know, put it, put God box on it with a slot on the top of it. And anytime you pray about something, you know, take, write it on a little piece of paper and then go and drop it in the God box. And that's, that's your step of faith that you're saying, God, this is now in your hands. God, God, this, this burden is now on you, right? But then every time you sense worry and you sense anxiety and fear come, go back over to the box and take it back out of the box and put it in your pocket. Because this is what we do, don't we? It's like we give it to God. We, we roll it on God. We say, God, here, here it is. It's yours. Take care of it, God. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm not going to stress about it anymore. But then before you know it, we're filled with anxiety and we're, we're filled with worry again. Well, how do you keep the burden on God? Well, prayer puts it there, but praise keeps it there. That's where praise comes in. Whenever the enemy tries to give you your burden back, start praising him. Prayer changes the position of your hands from reaching out to take it back to reaching up to give it to God, right? Prayer changes your hand position. Prayer is what roll, prayer is what rolls the burden on God. Praise is what keeps it there. That's where the story of Paul and Silas come in. As we come to the text, we find they are having great success spreading the gospel. And, and they come to Philippi, a city that they thought they could stay in for a long time and plant a church there. Paul is preaching the gospel with Silas and people are responding and their hearts are getting touched. When all of a sudden this slave girl, there was a slave girl that read you in, that, in the text, but she's, she was a soothsayer or, or a palm reader or a psychic. By the way, Christians often wonder, you know, is, 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 is psychic stuff, you know, is that like, you know, is that a gift from God? No, and, and I know there are some psychics that don't even know this, but a medium is being used by the enemy, not by God. Okay, and stay away from that stuff. Tarot cards, you know, psychic readings, palm readings, all that kind of stuff. That that's not of God. That that's from the enemy. That's 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 messed up kind of stuff, right? And so anyway, she was a soothsayer. She was a medium, and she started following Paul and Silas around. And wherever they were going, she was be, she in this real screeching voice. She would say, "These are servants of the Most High God." These are servants of the Most High God. These are servants. And, and she was saying the right thing, but it was, but it was constant so that she was interrupting what God wanted to do and the ministry that God was having in people's, to people's lives and to people's hearts, right? She was, she was just a distraction even though she was saying the right thing. Her words were right. And you have to be careful because the enemy always has a little grain of truth in it. 
Always. And that's why it's been hard in these times for people to discern right from wrong. Because there's a little grain of truth in it, right? The little grain of truth is just, just be kind to everybody. That's the little grain. Kindness wins. That's the little grain of truth that's in there. Yeah, but, but kindness is not, not telling somebody that something is wrong. That's actually hating that individual. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects and chastises. And if you be without chastisement, then you are, I'm not cursing right now, so what the Bible says, then you are a bastard and not an illegitimate child, and not a legitimate child. If you spare the rod, the Bible says, you hate your child. Not correcting somebody is a sign of lack of love. But the truth that is kind of just put in there into the message these days is kindness wins. And I'm all for being kind, right? I'm all for treating people with dignity and respect and all of that kind of stuff. Don't be mean to nobody, right? But we have to, we have to realize the enemy tries to slip stuff in. I was sharing with the staff the other day, and I'm, I'm going to be talking about some of this stuff in future weeks. I said, just imagine there were these beautiful brownies. I mean, they look good. They smell good. They were fudgy and everything like that. And I let y'all eat them. And then I told you, oh, I forgot to tell y'all, I just put a tiny little piece of poop in there. (laughs) Just a tiny little piece, you know, but the rest of it is all good. That's what the enemy does. The enemy's got a tiny little piece of poop in every one of his truths that destroys the whole thing. And so she's saying the right thing, but you know, she's distracting from the message of God. She's distracting from the purpose of God. And so Paul finally has enough and he turns around, and he casts the evil spirit out of her. And she gets in her right mind. And she starts following Paul and she starts being part of, you know, what Paul is doing. She, she's in the process of being converted. And when her masters find out that they can't use her for money anymore to be a psychic, to be a medium, so on and so forth. They get so mad at Paul, but they know that they can't throw him in jail for casting a spirit out of somebody. And so what they do is they go to the authorities and they say, these guys are teaching things that are unlawful for us as Romans to follow. And for that, they get them thrown in jail. And so now Paul and Silas are in jail for causing what they called a public disturbance. And they are lying in prison, they are bound in chains, their backs are bleeding, their bodies are aching, they are forced to lie in their own excrement, they are placed in an inner prison uh, where the prison guards could exert as much torture as they wanted on them. This wasn't prison like it is today. There, There was no heat in the winter, there was no AC in the summer, there wasn't three square meals. There wasn't a workout room in recreation times. This was a torture chamber of sorts to teach them a lesson. Now you have to understand that due to this, their minds have got to be under assault. We just preached the gospel. We just did what God said. And it's turned out like 
This, it's worked out bad. We thought we were coming to Philippi. We had a plan to plant a church, and we wind up in prison. They're undoubtedly disappointed. They are questioning maybe even their commitment to Christ. Maybe they're thinking, is this really worth it? Maybe they're wanting to retreat. Certainly, they're wondering what to make of it all. Fear is probably attacking their mind. Doubt is shouting in a deafening voice. They're just like us. They're not superhuman beings. When we read the Bible, we think that the Bible characters were superhuman, that they had some ability that you and I had, that they thought they thought on a different level than you and I think. They were human beings. But look at how they respond to their mind being under assault. Acts chapter 16, verse 20, 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They prayed and sang. Prayer and praise. Double P. Or triple P, if you add the outcome, right? Prayer and praise. When their mind was under assault, when what they were going through didn't make sense, when they were tempted to throw in the towel on their faith, they said, we will not allow the enemy to have our mind, but we will fight back in prayer and praise. Why? Because this is how we fight our battles. We make war with our hands. And by the way, some of y'all ought to scare the devil a little bit. Back in the day when I was, you know, in school, if we wanted to, like, you know, pick on somebody, you know, if we wanted to bully somebody, we go, and he'd be like, why are you jumping, man? Why are you jumping like that? Right? You know how, what I've learned? I've learned that when the devil sees me go like this, and like this, it's like me going like this to the devil. Devil, watch out now, because if you ever see me go like this, and, and if you ever see me this, then you know that it's on. The fight is on. I'm not just going to stand back here and let you have my mind. I'm going to war back. I'm going to fight with the weapons of my warfare, which are not carnal, but mighty in God, to the pulling down of strongholds. Prayer and praise, right? This is how we, we roll the burden over on God and keep the burden on God. Prayer rolls it on God. Praise keeps it on God. Number two, A midnight praise is especially protective of your mind. A midnight praise. Notice what the Bible says. They praise God when? At midnight. A lot of people get that confused. A lot of people read that and say God showed up at midnight. No, he didn't. Even though he did. In other words, they put the emphasis on midnight on the timing of God. And, you know, they get off into all this, you know, well, you know, the Lord is never early, but he's never late either. He'll make you wait till midtime, midnight. Yeah, but that's not what the Bible says. Maybe there might be some spiritual truth in it, but that's not what the Bible says. It says they waited till midnight to praise God. And by the way, the way I read the text, unless I'm reading it wrong, somebody help me with this, is that as soon as they gave God the praise, God showed up. It doesn't say there was any delay between the praise and the presence because the praise attracts the presence. So it's not that God waits for midnight in order to rescue your situation. God is just listening for something to come out of you that causes him to respond to your situation. And that's something that God is waiting for is your praise. Rejoice in the Lord always, 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 always. So ever notice though, how at midnight everything gets worse? Anybody ever notice that? 
At midnight, everything is more intense. At midnight, everything is more uncertain. You know, faith gets weaker. Doubt gets stronger. The enemy's voice gets louder. The picture in your mind of the circumstances that you're going through gets, gets bleaker and bleaker and bleaker and more vivid and vivid and vivid. And it seems like the enemy moves at midnight, like he especially assaults our minds at midnight. Midnight is a type of season when our mind is under siege. Seasons where the evidence is overwhelmingly against us. Seasons when your mind is particularly manipulated. What do you do when your mind is under that? You give God a midnight praise. In other words, praised him when things were at their worst. Before there was any shred of evidence that things would get better. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not just when it looks right. Not just when it looks like it's going to turn. But in the middle of the situation. That is a midnight praise or a faith praise. Because faith is always before. Faith doesn't rejoice only after. It should rejoice after. But faith rejoices before and after. And there's a lot of people that are just waiting for something to get better before they praise, but praise is what creates a better situation in your life. And so Paul and Silas were beaten, but they gave him a midnight praise. They were bloodied, but gave him a midnight praise. Nothing changed, but they gave him a midnight praise. They weren't sure if God had them on his radar, but they gave him a midnight praise. They seemed like serving the Savior wasn't working out, but they gave him a midnight praise. They felt like they wanted to quit, but they gave him a midnight praise. They were still standing in prison, and they gave him a midnight praise. They were literally in their own feces, but God, they gave God a midnight praise. What does that mean for you? you. Marriage hasn't got better. Give God a midnight praise. Bills piling up. Give God a midnight praise. Still going to chemotherapy. Give God a midnight praise. Overwhelmed with depression. Give God a midnight praise. House in foreclosure. Give God a midnight praise. Kids acting a fool. Give God a midnight praise. Been a long time in that circumstance. Give God a midnight praise. Prayer is what changes your situation. We want to reserve our praise for after the chains break. But our praise that we give him before anything changes is what causes the chains to break. Especially the chains that are coming against your mind. When a midnight praise comes through our lips and from our soul, power hits our chains straight from God's throne. Let me say it again. When a midnight prayer comes through our lips and from our soul, prayer hits our chains straight from God's throne. Midnight praise will break your chain. Midnight chain praise will break your chain. Listen to what it says again. Verse number 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Midnight praise breaks the chains of fear, the chains of worry, the chains of anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, the chains of doubt. Midnight chain praise breaks the chains that are trying to imprison your mind as well as the stuff that is trying to imprison your life. We used to sing a song back in the day. The praise, the chains that seem to bind us drop powerless behind us when we praise him. Matter of fact, listen to what the scripture says. It says that God God inhabits the praises of his people. But listen to what it says. Psalm 23, verse 3. But you are holy, enthroned 
in the praises of Israel. Not just in habits, but enthroned. In habits is good, because when the praises go up, the blessings come down. When the praises go up, the presence of God is on the scene. But that's not what it really means, that just God's presence is there. It means God is enthroned. What does it mean to be enthroned? It means to reign. It means to rule. And so here's what happens very literally when you give God a midnight praise. What happens is God becomes, comes on the scene and begins to rule and reign in your circumstances. And when God comes on the scene, when God arises, what happens to the chains of the enemy? They gotta be loosed. You've gotta be set free because the enemy cannot stand in the presence of a mighty God. And so when you lift up a praise, God rules and reigns. In your situation. A midnight praise. Notice again Paul's advice. He says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. I think Paul wrote this because he knew. See there's, there's advice that somebody gives you. Because they think it's right. And there's advice that somebody gives you because they know it's right. And, and advice that somebody gives you because they know it's right. Is what they have experienced God do for them. And so there's no doubt in his mind. So I think what Paul was doing when he wrote this is he was talking to them from experience. He was saying, listen, I was in a, I was in a jail in Philippi. I was there and I decided that when everything looked bad to rejoice and give God some praise and God showed up. Don't let your chains break your praise. Let your praise break your chains. Praise him before and not after. Well, how do I, how do I give God a midnight praise? You praise him not for what he has done, but for who he is. See, there are times in your life where you look around and you'll be so surrounded by a lot of stuff that's going on in your life that you won't be able to find something to praise him for. The what's will have disappeared out of your mind. Even though there's still a lot of, a lot of things too, but the what's will disappear. And you'll almost feel like, well, 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 what can I give him? Imagine Paul and Silas looking around. Do we thank him for the chains? No. Do we thank him that we were beaten? That our backs are bloody? Do we thank him that we're, we, we have no place to go to the bathroom? Do we thank him that we can't see one another because it's so dark in this inner chamber? Do we thank him for the smell because we're literally standing in sewage right now because that's where the inner prison was? Do we thank him for anything like, like that? I, I, I think that Paul looked over at Silas. He said, he said uh, I think we ought to pray and, and sing some praise to God. And Silas might have said, for what? Paul said, well, you got the wrong question. It's not for what. It's for who. We used to sing a song back in the day. It goes like this. Because of who you are, give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Because of who you are, I will live. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Come on, sing. Because of who you are, I give. 
for what but for who not for what but for who and that's what brings a peace to your mind you can go ahead and be seated for a minute I want to close with one final thing and that's that prayer literally changes your brain literally 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 listen to what the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 61 verse number 1 it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me Because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which, by the way, is the year of God's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, listen, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise... For the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. By the way, praise keeps you planted. Praise allows you 
to not be shaken by the storms and the situations that are happening in your life. But notice what it says. The garment of praise is a gift from Jesus that nobody ever mentions. Everybody talks about when it says that Jesus came to give liberty to those that were bruised, to, to heal those who are brokenhearted, to open the eyes of the blind. All true, all true. But also to give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It is a gift from Almighty God. What is the spirit of heaviness? The spirit of heaviness is when anxiety comes on you. It's when worry comes on you. It's when depression comes on you. Fear comes on you. Confusion. All that kind of stuff. That is the spirit of heaviness. Now what is the garment of praise? Well, a garment of praise in the sense that this is, is literally a mantle of praise. A mantle. What is a mantle? Well, the best way I can describe it is, you remember when Elijah gave Elisha his mantle. What was it? He passed on his anointing onto his life. He passed on the same power that was on him onto the next generation. And so as Elijah went up and Elisha was there, the mantle, the prophetic anointing, the mantle to do miracles fell on Elisha. And Elisha did pretty good with that mantle, didn't he? He did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. But Jesus said something. He said, and greater works shall you do in my name because I go to my father. Now watch this. Elijah was going up and the mantle was falling down on anybody that was there to catch it. Elisha was there to catch it. He said, I'm going to my father, but when I go up, I'm dropping something down. What am I dropping down? Well, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the mantle that rested on me is now going to rest on your life, and the same authority that I had is the authority that you have. Now here's the question though. How do I walk in that authority? I'll give you the garment of praise. The mantle of my anointing for the spirit of heaviness. Not just on your life. But the garment of praise. The mantle of my anointing for the spirit of heaviness on anybody else's life. That's why these things shall you do in my name. We are supposed to be laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. We are supposed to be able to cast out demons. We are supposed to be able to lay our hands on people and see their circumstances change. But the reason why we don't is because we don't walk in the mantle that comes from being in the presence of God through praise. It's not just when you walk into church, because that'll make you feel good for a minute. That's why you leave church, and you're like, oh, I'm excited. I'm happy. Then you go back up into the world, and you take back all those pressures again, because praise is not reserved for just Sunday. Praise is in him we live and move and have our being. I don't know about you, but how many of you get dressed every single day? Right? Every day you put on your clothes. How many every day you got to put on your spiritual clothes? Every day put on that mantle. Every single day get in the presence of God and just let that garment fall on you. So praise literally causes anxiety, worry, depression to leave your mind. But there's also scientific evidence to suggest it. 
Worshiping God, literally there's studies on this. I don't know who does these kind of studies, but they did. It reduces your heart rate, your blood pressure, your blood glucose levels, and your serum markers for inflammation. Praise does that. Ever notice when you get worried and anxious and so on and so forth, what happens to your heart rate? Right? You start feeling, you can actually feel it. You're like, can't take no more. Right? Well, praise reduces all that. So here's how it works. The devil starts messing with your mind. Heaviness comes on you. Your heart rate starts going up. Your blood pressure begins to rise. Your glucose levels go up. See, the devil's the one that wants to make you fat. Worry and anxiety caused all that to go up, right? And, and your inflammation in your body starts going, but then you decide to praise, decide to praise him. And this mantle comes over you. This cloak comes over you. This anointing, this authority goes over you. And you begin, your heart rate begins to go down. Your blood pressure begins to go down. Your glucose levels regulate. This is why whenever I eat a piece of cake, I start praising God. Dear Jesus. (laughs) Regulate my blood pressure. Right? Why? The garment of praise causes the spirit of heaviness to leave. But the scientific evidence is even better. Dr. Newberg, who I've mentioned to you before, he's a director of research at Thomas Jefferson Hospital Medical College. He studies the brain using neural imaging. And he has proven that praise and worship leads to quantifiable changes in brain volume and metabolism, especially... In the, and, and when I read that first, brain volume and metabolism, I thought, why there's a lot of fat people on praise teams? <laughs> why are pastors fat? You know, there's a lot of fat pastors out there, not, not myself not included, although, you know, that depends. Because we ought to be the ones that are praising God the most, right? So it's brain metabolism, though. Brain metabolism and volume, especially in the part of the brain known as the cingulate cortex. The cingulate cortex, listen to me, is the part of the brain, is the part of the brain or the, the limbic system of the brain, which is the part of the brain involved in behavioral and emotional responses, especially when it comes to the behaviors that we need for survival, for feeding, for reproduction, for caring for our young, and our fight or flight responses. So if the cingular cortex is damaged, a person is prone to bad decision making. And they can lack emotion and empathy, which can lead to antisocial behavior. So what basically Dr. Newberg said in essence was that worshiping and praising God has a positive effect on your brain, this part of your brain. Now let's see if it's true. Let's go back to our story. Paul and Silas just gave God a midnight praise. The presence of God came down. God enthroned their praise. The mantle came on their mind. The prison doors all of a sudden get open. All their chains are loosed. And where they wanted to be set free, they're now set free. They can walk out. As they're walking out, the prison guard, you remember we read about him. He was given the task to stay there and make sure they don't escape. And the prison guard all of a sudden is about ready to kill himself. Because if they escape on his watch, what they will do to him is far worse than him killing himself. And so Paul and Silas see the prison guard. He's about, they can walk out. They've been in that prison. They've been whipped. They've been beaten. That guard has probably been mean and nasty and tortured. They see him about to kill himself. And Paul says, stops. Verse number 28. He says, Do yourself no harm, for we are still here. He says, uh, we're not going to leave. Now, 
What makes somebody who has been beaten and whipped and put in a prison, who just prayed for relief from that inner prison, who can now walk out, stop, and sacrifice their own comfort for the comfort of somebody who's their enemy. Their mind was just flooded with praise. So all of a sudden, guess what started to happen to their brain? Their brain started to regulate properly. And their brain became empathetic to what somebody else was going through. So instead of walking out and saying, me, 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 this is why I know that the body of Christ don't praise God like they should. Because the body of Christ is just as me, 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 as everybody else. But when you truly get into the presence of God, you don't come out with me, 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 me. You come out thinking, how can I advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so here's a man about to kill himself and Paul says no 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 we ain't leaving praise did that praise did that but it gets even better as they are about ready to leave and they minister to the guy the guy gets saved he brings Paul to his house and his whole house gets saved Acts chapter 16 verse 29 then he called for a light and he ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas And he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Does your praise, is your praise so powerful? Is your light so powerful that people come running to you and ask you, what do I do? What do I need to do to get saved? Paul's was. Why? Because Paul was in the presence of God and now his brain is working right. And so he's now ministering to this person. He's now showing this person what it means to follow Christ. What must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. By the way, when you get saved, your house ought to get saved. The only reason your house don't get saved if you're saved is because you're saved ain't shining right. Let, let Let me say it again. The only reason why your house don't get saved when you get saved is because you're saved ain't shining right. Now, I know that's a hard statement, but listen to me. It ought to be so brilliant. It ought to be so revolutionary. There ought to be such a change, something on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. There ought to be something in your life that is so compelling to everybody who comes in contact with you, especially those people that live with you, that they ought to see it and they ought to say, I want that too. He said, you and your whole house will be saved. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and, and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night. He washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Praise did that. Here's what praise does. Praise regulates your mind so that your mind is not prone to poor decision making. And that your mind is perfectly in sync with the plan of God for your life. And so what started out as Paul going to Philippi to plant a church and what looked like it didn't work, all of a sudden indeed did work and God used the prison guard and his family to be the first members of the church of Philippi that then launched from that place. Praise did that. 
praise did that? Are you ready to get into the presence of God through the power of praise and have that affect your mind? This is what your mind looks like. Instead of letting your mind get eaten up with anxiety and fear and worry and all of those things, when your mind is under bombardment, start praising God, not for what he's done, but for who he is and watch how your mind regulates. You'll be able to look over at the devil and go, Come on, stand to your feet. Praising God. Something simple. Everybody can give God a praise. Sometimes some of the things that we hear people say you have to do in order to overcome or be successful in life, you're like, oh, I can't do that. But everybody can give God a praise. The interesting thing about giving God a praise is that God doesn't really even care if you can sing or you can't sing. He wants it to just be joyful. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Be glad for who he is. Come on, let's sing that one more time. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are, I give you praise. Because of who you are, I will lift my voice and say, Lord, I worship you. Because of who you are. Because of who
I just felt strongly in my spirit to just share with you that someone needs to be in the presence of God perpetually. What do I mean by that? Every moment, driving to work, put your praise on. Sitting around in your house, put your praise on. Getting dressed in the movie, in the morning, put your praise on. Instead of the, t- I don't got time. Instead of the TV, put your praise on. Listen to me, I, I like TV. But I only watch one thing, pretty much. Sports. Because the other stuff is a mess. It's a mess. If you just swap out what you watch it on TV for just being in the presence of God and praise, watch what happens to your joy level, to your life, to your mind. Somebody's going through right now. Get in the presence of God. There have been seasons in my life where I can honestly say almost every waking minute of every day I had praise on because I needed God's presence. Sometimes you need to be ferocious in your faith, constant in your faith. And when you are, you'll see God show up in your life. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never bowed your knee before him. What do you mean, pastor? You've never repented of your sins. By the way, sin is still the reason why Jesus came to the earth. Because God don't think sin is cute. Sin separates us from God. Sin requires, according to the perfect justice of God, total alienation from God for all of eternity. But God loves us too much to leave us without a solution. But the solution is not you and me. It's not our behavior because you can't behave yourself good enough. Although if you're a Christian, you ought to strive to live for God. The standard is Jesus. It's not the standard of the world. But in and of ourselves, we can't do it. So he said, I'm going to pay for your sin and become one of you. But in order for you to receive that righteousness, that right standing with God, you need to repent of your sin. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And then the Bible says you will be saved. With no one looking around, if you're here today, you say, Pastor, I don't know if I'm right with God, but today I want to surrender my life to him. Just put your hand up so I can pray with you. I won't embarrass you in any way. Right there at your seat, we'll just pray for you right there. Pastor, today I want to surrender my life to Jesus. God bless you there. That's awesome. Pastor, today I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can put your hand down. Let's pray. Let's all pray this out loud together. I know there are people that God is touching on the online broadcast and the television broadcast and at our locations. If you felt like you wanted to surrender to Christ and say this out loud with us as well. Repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I receive him as my personal Savior. And with your help, I will never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. If you raised your hand, I'm sure an usher has found you online. Just click the little button that says I gave my life to Jesus or write Jesus in the chat.